wonderful. And um, wonderful testimony, Susan, and also wonderful family as well. Well, let me tell you about the best news. First of all, before I tell you about the best news, let me tell you about the bad news. The bad news is the Bible says that we're all sinners and separated from God. And so no matter how good you are, and no matter how much I might like you, you like me, I know something about you. You're not perfect, just like I'm not perfect. Now, the not only bad news, but the worst news is that we can't do anything about it. The Bible says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. You see, there's a line in perfection. I have dropped below that line. You have too, and there's nothing we can do to make up for that loss that we've experienced with our relationship with God. So the good news is Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for your sins, and he paid for those sins by his blood. The best news is, is that it's all free. You don't have to do anything to earn it. It's a free gift of God. Isn't that wonderful? Let's give God a wonderful round of applause for just his wonderful grace. Now, I shared that, and you said, man, this sounds like the sermon you preached two weeks ago. Well, that's how it started off. And for those of you who were here then, you would know that. But anyway, uh, just kind of needling with you a little bit. I shared this gospel, same presentation with on Awana Pastor Night. That was last Wednesday night. We have that once a year. Shared it, and eight children, elementary school students, prayed to receive Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Now, you can do it too. You can do it too. And that's what this series, as well as our adult Sunday school, our small group classes are teaching, how to use this little booklet to lead someone to Christ. I've given these out all week long. I just tell them there's a QR code on the back. They can scan that. Immediately goes to a website that verbally shares the gospel with them and explains it all the way through. Now, why don't we do that? Why don't we hand out a track or, or really witness to someone? Well, the number one reason why, in every survey that I can find, the number one reason why you and I do not share our faith is fear. We are afraid. Now, it's not quite as bad as the fear that maybe you would have if you were really persecuted. There's a story told um, by James Merritt, in fact, uh, about the China and, and the boxer um, uh, deal that happened in 1899. In 1899, the Chinese surrounded a mission, and they put a cross in the uh, middle of the courtyard where the only uh, exit that was not guarded, the only freedom that they would have, only exit they would have toward freedom. And he told them, every one of those children, if you come by and spit on the cross, you could go free. Well, the first seven or eight of them did exactly that. The one, young, one girl came out, and she circled the cross and wouldn't spit on it. They shot her. The 92 children inspired by her that followed her were all shot as well. So, wow, what courage. What courage under great persecution. Now, I don't say that to make you feel guilty, but the fear that we experience, you say, is not the same thing, but it kind of floats from the same thing. It comes from the same thing. And that is fear comes when we recognize the fact that we don't have the resources to do what we need to do. And so maybe your fears are about rejection, about losing your friends. No one wants to be ostracized. Maybe you feel like, I just don't have the words to say. What if I get stumped? What if they ask a question that I can't answer? What about that, Pastor? I mean, there, there are fears that are involved in this. 
And so when we realize that most people come to Christ, not through a big crusade, not through television, but most people come to Christ through one-on-one relationships as one person shares the gospel with another. If we are going to reach our community for Christ and accomplish the vision of our church, that the sun would never set on the ministry of Cross Life Church, what we're going to have to do then is overcome our fears. We're going to have to learn to share Jesus without fear. How? Well, in 2 Timothy, we have a story. We have a letter written. In fact, probably it was the last letter that Paul ever wrote. He wrote it to his son in the faith, Timothy, who he had trained to be a pastor. Then he left him at one of his mission statements, uh, uh, stations that he had planted a church. He left him there to pastor. Here's what it says. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God, whom I serve, as I did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And oftentimes in a ceremony like we have with ordination, laid hands on people, prayed for them. For God has not given us the spirit, not of fear. He said, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Just a few verses as we go through the rest of them in just a few moments. I want to look at two things this morning, just two. One, I want us to look at the problem that we're facing with our fears and kind of a general thing and then apply it to sharing our faith. Then secondly, how to overcome the fear that we have in sharing Christ with someone else. First, I want us to notice the problems that we face. Well, as Timothy uh, was told by Paul, he says, look, you've got a gift. Fan the flame of your gift. What gift was that? Well, it's believed that it was evangelism. Verse 14 talks a little bit about that kind of uh, lending itself toward that. The rest of the book is lending itself toward that. And we believe that his spiritual gift, at least one of them, was reaching people for Christ. Now, for some reason, here was Timothy, bold in his faith, suddenly was timid. He was a little bit shy about the whole thing. Now, this word fear um, means a lack of courage. Um, there are seven different words, Greek words, in the um, New Testament for fear. One of them kind of correlates with the Old Testament idea of the fear of the Lord, where Proverbs tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is is insight or wisdom. Here we find that in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it says to fear God, to have an awesome reverence for God, knowing you're going to stand before him and give accountability, knowing that he is so awesome that we are not worthy to stand in his presence. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. But then there's also the fear that it just makes sense to be afraid. You know, the fears of, of danger, not wanting to walk down a dark alley in the middle of a city at, late at night, 
or not wanting to rot, walk out in front of traffic until you see, look both ways and make sure no cars are coming or, uh, you know, don't pet an alligator, you know, those kind of things that you have in life that you think, oh, there's, there's a danger involved there. I'm going to be smart and I'm going to be afraid to do that because of that danger. But this word, delilia, that means timid, cowardly, it's a shameful fear. And it's always self-centered fear. It's a fear that concentrates on what's going to happen to me and what potentially could happen to me because I don't possess the resources involved. Again, fear develops when we do not, do not feel that we have the resources to do what we need to do. That fear could come across, for example, um, my brother-in-law, uh, when I was a teenager, said, let's take a swim in the lake. I didn't realize that my new brother-in-law was a great swimmer. And so I jumped in the lake, and my idea of swimming is staying alive in the water, you know, with a life jacket on. And so I went swimming, and I, I got out there in the middle of the lake, and he was way past me. And I suddenly realized I'm already tired. I turned around. I couldn't make it. I started floating. I did different things so I could make it back, finally make it back. But I'm telling you, there was a fear there. I lacked the resources necessary to get to the shore. I just let you know I made it. Just let you know I made it. So uh, another thing is money. Some of you right now maybe are experiencing a time in your life. Maybe you've lost your job and you think, where is the net next rent check coming or the payment on the house. You feel like you look in the bank and you look and say, I lack the resources necessary to, make, to do what I need to do. There's a fear that comes up. This kind of fear that he's talking about is a fear that says it's going to, it's going to affect me in a negative way. And he's, Timothy now is concentrating not on God, but himself and how things are going to affect him. And so how does this apply to witnessing? Well, we, as I mentioned before, we, we feel kind of, kind of fear rejection. What if I get out and I, I share the gospel with someone, you know, the best news, and they just reject me? They reject who? Me. What if I lose a few, a few friends over it? What if I don't have the knowledge to really share my faith? What if I get stumped? What if I embarrass myself because I can't answer the questions that somebody else is asking? What if I don't know enough? You see, one of the things I realized when I was a very young Christian is all of those reasons, good reasons, really centered around me. It's not that they were excuses. They were real, real reasons. However, they just centered around me, that revolving around me, my perceived lack of resources in order to get it done. Then he says here, he says, you're ashamed, verse 8. Um, he says, I've not given you the spirit of fear, but of power, we'll come back to that. Love, we'll come back to that. Self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed. What was he ashamed about? This word, as we've said before, comes from an idea of, you know, the gospel's not going to work anyway. But it also comes from an idea of cowardice as well. In the book of Revelation, it says that verse in chapter 21, I think verse 8, he says the, the cowardly are going to be punished for their sins. And you think to yourself, well, well, that's not fair. 
I mean, if I can't be like a John Wayne or a superhero, then, you know, I'm afraid of something. No, it's not talking about that kind of cowardliness. It's talking about that, that cowardliness that doesn't have any courage, that doesn't have any faith. Because when you and I are expressing our fears, what we're really saying is, I don't have the faith necessary for God to give me the resources in order to accomplish what I need to accomplish. And so we look at this and we understand that fear says three things. It's not, it's not that fear is not valuable. Fear can tell us three things. Number one, or three things about it, it exposes us. That's what it tells us about ourselves. Whatever you fear is connected somehow to a God, an idol, something else that's on the throne. Now, it could be yourself. It could be your self-esteem. It could be your reputation as far as witnessing goes. And it just could be just the fact of how good you feel about yourself because I want to be successful in my witnessing. I want to do a beautiful job in how to, and sharing my faith, and I want people to automatically receive Jesus Christ. And so we look at this, and we understand that it exposes us, but also it can paralyze us. My goodness, you've heard the phrase, frozen with fear. I mean, you, you, it can paralyze your life. And then also can neutralize you as well. You just sort of sit there and not do absolutely nothing. Not, we're just not talking about witnessing here, but we're talking about anything. You know, you can't make a move. You can't change jobs. You can't step out on faith. You, you can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Why? Well, I'm, I'm afraid. I don't think I can make it. I want to be successful and not just a failure. And really when we come to it, one of my things that I've had to deal with over the years, I hope that I'm kind of on top of it a little bit after all this time, is a fear of failure. Many of you have that. Many of you can identify with that. You want to be successful. You don't want to fail. And so how do we overcome this? What is the prescription there in your outline? What's the prescription that we find? First of all, we need to realize we cannot fail. Not in witnessing. If you share your faith, you cannot fail because the the object of, of the whole thing is not to win somebody to Jesus the object is is to be obedient to God share your faith and let God do the work in someone's life remember what Romans 1 excuse me Romans 10 said last week he says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God well how shall they have faith without hearing how can they hear without a preacher or a witness because faith comes by hearing, understanding the Bible as God plants seeds in somebody's life. You cannot fail. Now, I remember uh, as a student at the University of Georgia um, witnessing to this guy. He was a friend of mine, and um, I wasn't much into sharing my faith. Nobody ever challenged me to do it, but he was a friend. You know, I, I wanted to make sure he would go to heaven. And so I began to share faith, my faith with him. But he kind of rejected it, the message a little bit. We continued to be friends for a long time. We kept another friend of mine and I began to share him, with him more and more and more. As far as I know, he never received Christ. Was I a failure in that? Did I fail? There's others that I've shared. In fact, I've shared Christ with a lot of people right here in this town. Some of them, a few of them, have prayed to receive Christ. Many of them, different religions, different beliefs, hard to overcome that, hard to loop through that. 
Now, I didn't lose them as a friend. They're still friends. However, they haven't received the Lord. Did I fail in that witness? Did I waste my time having a meal with them? And sometimes paying for the meal, by the way. Did I waste my money? Did I waste my time? I remember uh, sharing Christ and uh, with this one particular lady, I, I was training somebody else in evangelism and usually one person back then trained two and usually it was a man and a woman, maybe their husband and wife I was training and uh, the lady didn't show up that night. She couldn't come. And so it was just me and this other guy going out sharing Christ. And so I was going to present the gospel to show him how to do it. That was kind of the idea. And I was, I was just tired, guys. I was just bone tired. Now, I, I'm telling you, I want to share something with you. Don't tell anybody. But I'm going, to tell, I'm going to share something with you. Sometimes I have shared the gospel so well that I had to just pat myself on the back. In fact, I thought to myself, if I weren't saved, I'd get saved today. But boy, this was not one of those times. I was beat. I was tired. I had not gone over the gospel in my head at all. I show up at the door. She invites us in. You know, sometimes you go visiting and you hope they'll say, uh, we, it's not, we don't have time tonight. Oh, good. Thank God. You know, I'm so beat. And so we go in and I shared the gospel. And I thought halfway through, I thought, I am not making any sense whatsoever. I mean, this is bad. I got to the end of it. I started not to even ask her if she wanted to receive the Lord. Because I just thought, this, this is useless. I have to come back or whatever. I hope she comes back to church, something. And I said, would you like to receive Jesus? Um, first, I asked her, do you understand what I've shared with you? And she lied to me and said yes. <laughs> no. Um, no, the Holy Spirit was talking to her. And so I said, would you like to receive Christ now? And she looked up with misty eyes and said, yes, I would. We prayed to receive Christ on the way out, or she did, on the way out, uh, my visitation partner said, wow, that went really good. And I said, I stunk. That was horrible. And basically he said, yeah, I thought you were going to go to sleep when you were sharing it yourself. W was I a success? Was I a failure? No, I I'm a messenger. In fact, you know, some of you may not know really, I mean, you're, you're, you're getting educated. Suddenly you realize what a newspaper is. All right, you haven't seen one of these in a long time. There used to be a job, what they called a newspaper delivery, sometimes boy. You know, they'd be on a bicycle and throwing up. You've seen the old movies where they've done that. They've thrown up on the doorstep. That's us, folks. I am not the writer of the newspaper. You know, I'm not, I'm not the writer of the good news. I'm not the editor of the good news. I'm not the boss, and, and I'm not determining what news goes into the word of God. I'm just the newspaper boy. I'm just to deliver the message up on the step. And it may be that newspaper may be filled with coupons. And they may not use one of them. But it's not my fault. I delivered it up on the step. You cannot fail. But the second thing I'd like to look at this morning in order to overcome fear and witnessing sharing Jesus without fear. It's not just that we cannot fail and you need, in fact, why don't you say that? I cannot fail. And you're witnessing you what? I cannot fail. Secondly, you focus on God. Notice what he says here in verse um, 12. 
which is why I suffer. He says, first of all, in verse 11, I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. Now, that's what God wanted me to do, and which is what I suffered. But I am not ashamed, he says, for I know whom I have believed. I am persuaded, convinced, convicted that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. What's been entrusted? It's the gospel. What I shared with you today, it's a trust that God has placed in us. He says, I'm going to heaven. I'm sitting at the right hand of the Father. I'm passing the baton onto you. And this is a trust. I'm entrusting you with something, the most valuable message ever known to mankind. And we do it to glorify him, not ourselves. Take our eyes off ourselves and place those eyes upon God. It's not about me. It's not about my rejection. It's not, it's, fear comes. St. Augustine said, Fear comes when the finite, that is the temporary, things become the finite thing. In other words, things happen. Fear comes when you realize that you've come to a place in your life where you don't have the resources. Now, you didn't have the resources before. He said, no, 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 I got the money in the bank. God put that money in the bank. The Bible says in Deuteronomy, he even gives you the desire and the power to do the work. It comes from him. Now, you have to cooperate with that and do the work, but it comes from him. The blessing comes from him. And so you acknowledge the fact that the gospel has been entrusted to you. You acknowledge the fact that you know whom you believe. In other words, you're saved yourself. There's no way you can be prepared to share Christ without knowing beyond any doubt that you're saved yourself. He says, I know I'm saved. I, I know that I have the gospel that's been entrusted to me, and I'm trusting that God, that he's going to glorify himself, and it's not about me. They're rejecting the, hey, look, when I share the gospel, I've only had a few times when they just shun me completely away. And they're usually not atheists, by the way. They don't mind talking about it. They're beyond, it seems like, conviction. It's the people that are angry with God, and they need our special prayer. But when that happens, I know they're, they're rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting the gospel. They're not rejecting me. And I'm not going to sit here and kid you that it'll never happen to you. It's happened to me three different times in my life where somebody just didn't want, didn't want to even talk to me. Three times. Really out of thousands. Three times. But it might happen. But see, it's not about you. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the gospel the message that you can be saved by grace and not by works, or they're rejecting God whom they're mad at. They're angry because God, they feel like God has let them down in some way. It's all about God. Thirdly, receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we talk about power in verse 7. He's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of dunamis, of power, love, and self-control. Then it says in verse Eight, he says, for the gospel by the power of God. Then in verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. How do you get this power? Well, Acts 1.8 tells us you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you're going to be witnesses for me all over the world. He says once the Holy Spirit has come to you, it's going to change your life in such a way 
that you're going to be my witnesses. What, what entails that? We'll look at that more next week. But one of the things is the power to have the words that God would just recall to your memory, the things that you've learned, but also the power of love. The Bible says the Holy Spirit of God comes into our life, comes into our life and sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts. Romans 5, 5. 1 John 4, 18 says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. I shared with you a few weeks ago, and I said I was going to come back to this whole subject. But I gave you a little, uh, maybe teaser or whatever, about what it takes to overcome fear. The story goes where there's a lady, had a two-year-old, that she was, she, and she was scared to death of water, by the way, scared to death, would never get in their pool. And one day, the man got a call at work, her husband got a call at work, and said, you need to come home. Your two-year-old baby has fallen into the pool. He rushes home, finds out his, the paramedics had saved the baby's life, but his wife was just soaking wet. She had jumped into the pool to save her drowning baby. And he was bewildered, thankful. She saved his life, but bewildered. You're so, honey, you're so afraid of water. How did you do it? And she said, I, my love for my baby was greater than my fear of the water. How do you overcome? How do you and I overcome fear in witnessing? The greatest of all is just simply loving others. And to do that, you've got to have the Holy Spirit within you. I'm not saying that if you're not a Christian today, that you don't love someone. You do. In your own way, you do. You have people in your life that you love. But to love someone that's unlovely, to love someone that's in a nation that, in a person that you've never met, in a nation that you've never been, to witness to someone, share Christ with someone on, at your job that you barely know, and to love them more than you do a fear of rejection takes the Spirit of God living in your heart. And so if you've never made that decision, today is the day that you make that. We'll come back to that in just a few moments. Got a couple other things to share with you. You prepare yourself. You prepare yourself to share. Follow the pattern of sound words. This pattern has to do uh, with knowing the Word of God. It's a standard. It's the Word of God. He says, follow the Word of God that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on again to talk about the Holy Spirit. We need to be prepared. We, we just do. I remember uh, being a salesman, working my way through college as, as a salesman. And uh, you know, most of my work was at night, so I'd knock on their door after people got home from work. And I would go and knock on their door, and sometimes I felt like in the beginning I was prepared, sometimes I wasn't. So I learned to practice the presentation, to get it into my head before I went out that night. I'd done all these other things during the day, been to school, been to class, had to do homework. And so I went over the presentation and I was ready. There was a quarterback that was going to the Super Bowl and I can't remember which one it was, just three or four years ago. But somebody asked him, one of the reporters, are you nervous? I mean, the game, big game's coming up, are you nervous? And he says, no, I'm prepared. If I wasn't prepared, I'd be nervous but I'm prepared. I've been preparing all my life, but I'm really prepared to meet this team. It's the preparation 
of it all. I met someone one time and I said, man, you must, you must witness that people every day. He's a machine, you know. And he says, well, I do. And if I don't, I practice the presentation. I always want to be ready. Ready to share, to know what's on my mind. It says this in 2 Timothy. Study to show yourself. In fact, just one chapter up. Study to show yourself approved in God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. You learn it. We're teaching you how to share that little gospel track. You learn it. And then you relearn it and relearn it and make sure it's with you all the time. And if you're not witnessing on a regular basis, hey, sometimes you, you don't because you're building relationships and it's one, one here, two, three here, and then maybe you skip a week. You've got to have it in your mind. You have to be prepared to do what you've got to do. Then you've got to choose your fears. Paul was saying, I'm not ashamed, but yet Timothy seemed to be ashamed. Both of them were afraid. Both Paul, of course Timothy, but Paul himself, he was a fearful guy. Had a lot of fear. So how do you know? It looks like to me he's not timid at all, not shy at all. He had fears. Fear is here to stay, folks. We live in a world that is filled with unknowns. But you've got to choose what you're afraid of. Timothy was afraid for himself. Maybe his pastoral reputation. Maybe some of them, the people in the church not liking things. Maybe he was just, he had this influence over people in the city and he wanted to make sure he didn't offend them in some way. It was, he was afraid for him. Paul was afraid for them. He was afraid that they would meet eternity without God. He was afraid that someone under his responsibility would never know what it's like to have Jesus in their heart and the joy and the peace and the abundant life that could come with that. He was afraid for them. You always have to choose what you're afraid of. Are you afraid of what people are going to think of you? Are you afraid of missing out on the will of God? Are you afraid of missing out on that precious time? And I wish everybody could experience this, that precious time when you look at somebody and you say, do you understand what we've been talking about? And they say, yes. Would you like to receive Jesus Christ right now? And they say, yes. And you bow with them and bow in prayer and they pray to ask Jesus into their heart. Are you afraid of missing the will of God? Are you afraid they're going to miss heaven? Or are you afraid for how things are going to affect you? We have to choose our fears. Now, this last one's important. And that is you have to attack your fears. I love the saying, and I've lived a, a lot of my life by it. I'm in fact, probably the greatest quote in my life, other than quotes from the Bible, is when JFK, John Kennedy, wanted to put a man on the moon before the end of the 1960s decade. And he says, we don't do things because they are easy. We do them because they are hard. Pam and I have taught that to our children. You know, there may be somebody here, maybe in uh, college or high school, and you're thinking to yourself, you sure would like to ask that, that girl out for a date, but maybe you think, oh, she's, she's out of my league. But you want to and you're nervous, do it. 
Now, a lot of girls are going to be mad at me for saying that right now. <laughs> you don't do it because it's easy. You do it because it's hard. It's difficult. It builds character in your life. You say, oh, I could never ask my boss for a raise. Do it. You say, well, he's going to turn me down. Good. It's going to prove to you that you're still going to be alive after he says no. You go and witness to someone, and the first one comes along. You know, the likelihood of this happening. But still, the first one that comes along is, I don't want to hear anything about it. You walk away, and you're a little stunned. But you think, ooh, you know, I'm still alive. You do it because it builds character, because it's difficult, because it's hard. You do it out of obedience. You do it for love for others. But lastly, you attack your fears because you're doing it because it is hard. James Merritt tells a story about uh, there's a, a soldier during World War II, and he was lead, helping lead the charge for the attack. And the lieutenant saw, and he radioed, they radioed him and said, oh, it's, it's a trap. Don't go. He's trying to pull everybody back. But this one soldier, Apple was his last name. And this private Apple did not hear what the sergeant or lieutenant said. He kept charging. And finally, he was charging on his own, didn't realize it, but he was charging on his own. Well, this is just a you know, good country guy, good old boy. He landed in a bunker. And evidently, as he was landing in the bunker, there was a guy right in front of him, and then a lot of soldiers, a lot of enemy soldiers around the curve. They looked at one another straight in the face. He knocked the guy out, threw him over his shoulder, and walked back to the camp with everybody and pulled back. Well, the enemy was, was trying to shoot him, but they couldn't shoot him without shooting their own guy. And so he finally got to the camp, put him down on the ground, and everybody was looking at him like, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I just found him over there in a the ditch. There's plenty over there. You can have one if you want one. There's a lot of people in the ditch. There's a lot of people that need Jesus. There's a lot of Susans in the world that are crying out for help. There are people all around you, and you can have one if you want one. Now today, I want to share with you, if you've never received Christ, today's the day to do it. When I was sharing with the, uh, the young people, and I, I kind of like to do this during a vacation Bible school, this little story, it's one of my favorites. Let me share it with you if you haven't heard it. Um, a story that's supposed to be true. 1935, Oklahoma, a man ran a drawbridge. And as he was showing his five-year-old son around all the machinery, he's kind of showing off, kind of a father-son day, he noticed in this drawbridge the boat was coming. And he would have to shimmy up the ladder very, very soon and get the drawbridge up so everybody could pass, the boat could pass through. So he did that. He just left his son there. He said, son, stay right here. Don't bother anything. He runs up the ladder, raises up the drawbridge just in time. Well, suddenly now a train was ahead of schedule. It's coming around the bend. He knows he's going to have to lower the drawbridge very, very quickly in order for all the people on the train to pass through. Well, he looked around for his son just to make sure he heard him scream. He was caught in the gears of the drawbridge. 
And he knew if he closed the bridge down, his son would die. But he knew if he didn't, all the people on the train would die. Without hesitation, he lowers the drawbridge. He hears his son screaming. His son died almost instantly. All the people on the train passed through safely. What's the moral to the story? Well, a lot of people were waving. Most people didn't even realize, didn't stop to notice what this man did for them. But here was a man that would be willing to sacrifice his own son to save the lives of many others. God himself came in the form of his son and died on the cross for you. And you and you and you. And the question is, are you going to stop and take notice and apply that to your life so you can be saved for all of eternity? Or are you going to maybe continue to sort of ignore it? Hey, that's a nice thing that he did. That's, that's nice. There's the question. With heads bowed and eyes closed. This morning, if you've never received Christ into your life, I want to invite you to do that right now. Not ignore his sacrifice anymore. Not be ashamed of it, but rather grasp hold of it. By praying this prayer with me silently as I pray aloud. Lord God, thank you for loving me. Thank you that even though I'm a sinner, separated from you because of sin, you came and died on the cross for me. I open up my heart. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins and help me to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.